I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I just uh, I wanted to uh, show you a sign uh, that I got, and it's the no fear zone. And, uh, and I would just love to say that for our church, for our homes, for this place, for your life, may there be a no fear zone over your life. Amen? In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, no fear. <laughs> How many of you wiggled your finger when, I, when you did that? Did you do that? No fear. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is where, if all of the cameras of history would turn, this is the moment at which sin entered the human picture. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat from the fruit. Eat, may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good, both good and evil. And the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is the great moment of the first sin. The serpent, the snake, slithers up Satan, up to the woman and says, God's keeping something from you. He's holding something back from you. And it's the first moment in human history where the, this week's title, Fear of Missing Out, entered the picture. You see, the serpent said that she was going to miss out on that they were going to miss out on something. Did God really say this? You're missing out on something. And it could have been anything kind of fruit. If you notice, it just says fruit. It doesn't say apple. Uh, it doesn't say bananas. And it, it doesn't say what kind of fruit. You know why that is, I think? Because all of us like something different. Some of you like apples, oranges, grapes. Some of you like Skittles. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you like all the different kind of flavors, right? So it doesn't matter what your thing is. You're missing out on something. And there's a, a draw that goes on, a little lie that the snake, the, that Satan begins to slip into the brain. And the, the, the Eve's mind has this question kind of slipped into her by the serpent's question. And it's this. Can you really trust God? Can you really trust God? You see, because God was the one that told him not to eat from the fruit. Did not do that. And the Satan's on the other side saying, he didn't really mean it. He's holding back something from you. And in the middle, Eve is sitting there going, I want that. Maybe God doesn't really care about me. Maybe I can't trust him. And the big step towards sin by Eve, by Adam, was really the fear of missing out on something. And instead of trusting God, plan for our lives, we too can fall into the trap where we feel like we're missing out on something good and therefore covet what other people have. 
If only I had that, then I would be happy. And at its root, FOMO, or the fear of missing out, is craving the thing that we don't have. It's the thing that we don't have. And when we have this active in our life, we go to extremes. On one end, the result is that we say yes to every opportunity. Everything gets a yes. We sign up for this. Our kids have to do this because if our kids don't get involved in this, our kids don't have a future. And we've got people telling us that we should be involved in eight different things. And we say yes, 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 because we don't want to miss out on something. And then we're burnt out and we're fatigued and we're overwhelmed and we feel like we have no margin left in our lives because we've said yes. And that's the fear of missing out. The other end of the extreme and the other polar end of the, the story with FOMO is people who say no to everything. And they live in scarcity and they hold back from opportunity because they're afraid if I do this, I might not get to do what I really want to do. And it goes one way or the other. But it's not just the big stuff. You see, FOMO robs us of being present not only with others, but with ourselves. And this is the greatest consequence to FOMO is when we always want to be somewhere else or we wish we had something else. We're never in the moment. We're not present with the people around us and it has had a disastrous effect on our culture. We can live in the what if and miss the moment that we're really in. Social media is the place that people in 2016 battle what Adam and Eve battled. In our culture, there's a lot of FOMO going on. And uh, Time Magazine did an article earlier this year on it, and I was, as I was preparing for the message today, I had been looking into how's the culture looking at FOMO? How are they looking at the fear of missing out? And um, are, they, are they overlooking it? Do they think it's a problem? And actually, there's a whole lot of research out there where it's an absolutely huge issue in our culture today. And uh, they published this article and they discovered that those high in the fear of missing out tended to use Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat more often immediately after waking up, going to sleep, and during meals. That was the beginning point. So if you're feeling not so great about your life, you end up turning to social media. And that will make you feel better. It will help you with your FOMO. But listen, if you're not feeling good, maybe it's a sign that you have FOMO. Maybe you have the fear of missing out and you didn't even realize it. Do you have trouble sitting through a movie without obsessively checking your phone? How about in a church service? Does your family complain about your constant social media habits? If you panic at the thought of not having your phone with you, you may be experiencing FOMO. It was added to the Oxford Dictionary list in 2013. Friends, living our lives through this virtual filter isn't really living at all. It only fuels an anxious mindset that we must be missing out on something. And here, the truth is, we can't escape it. I mean, marketing is, has tools that target our specific wants and desires. If you're on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever it may be, you, you go to certain places and they're, they're high uh, 
amount of money in engineering and in research has been put into how do they then get the right ads in front of you because you're likely to be a target for companies to come after you. It's everywhere we go. Just this morning, as I, as I was driving to church, um, there was a billboard up on, on uh, Highway 65 on Central, and I was coming south, and, and it was a picture of a gas station and uh, showing a cup of coffee, which to people like me, that's like a good feeling kind of thing. But it's, it had this phrase that said, happiness starts here. You know what they're doing? They're looking at me. They realize I need caffeine. They put a cup of coffee in front of me and they point at the fact that I don't currently have a cup of coffee which means I need to pull off the road, go in the store, there's the coffee. But for them, it's not about the coffee, it's about my money. And so they use my fear of missing out on a cup of coffee to drive me towards their benefit. I become a slave to whoever is using the FOMO. Are you hearing me? Now, by the way, I would never pull over to a gas station to get a cup of coffee. I go to Starbucks or Caribou and pay twice as much. Right? See, advertisements intentionally make you feel bad that you don't have what they want you to buy. And the disappointment in the gap between where you are and what you want is the fruit in Genesis chapter 3. It's wrapped in the lie that you cannot be happy without it. Now, there's a whole study, a field of study, or research is done in major universities, psychology and sociology, and that field of study is called happiness research. Happiness research. And they've done all these studies on people and why they're mo motivated to do certain things, what makes one person happy and another person not happy. And they, they've looked at different people. In fact, in Time Magazine, they quoted from it in June 7, 2016, the Time Magazine article. It says, if two women each talk to their friends the same amount of time, but one of them spends more time reading about friends on Facebook as well, the one reading tends to grow slightly more depressed. Isn't that interesting? Two people, same experiences, they know each other, but the one that is looking at other people's life stories is the one that is depressed. Why is that? I think it has something to do with it. we project our best face forward. How many of you have ever posted your worst picture of yourself? We don't do that, right? The day that you had the hair explosion or you know somebody's taking a picture of you and, and they, you wanna, you're like, let me see that before you post it, right? So people are putting up their best projection of their best day and we're in our worst day and a bad moment and we look at their best day and we feel the gap between where we are and where they are and we feel bad about ourselves and we feel disappointment or depression. See, comparing is the happiness equivalent of reading your bank statement after looking at the Forbes 400 list. Erica Jong said that jealousy is all the fun you think they had. That you think they had. See, happiness is determined by how you allocate your attention. Where your attention goes is often determines where your happiness is. 
Is your happiness coming from things outside of you? Affirmation, people telling you that you're okay, you get the thing that you want. Do you have to go get it to be happy? Or does it come from on the inside? Research shows that people with fear of missing out stop paying attention to the life around them and turn to the social media for their happiness. It's a temporary feeling of a big void. Students with FOMO pay less attention in school, are more likely to check their phone while driving. I don't know if you're a college student here, but get ready. The average college student spends eight to 10 hours killing time on their cell phone each day. Everybody that's not a college student, you might actually be doing it more and you don't even realize it. I know adults who their relationships are hurting and their key relationships because of the fear of missing out or they may be distracted at work and it's affecting their careers. And when you're evaluating a relationship or a friendship, something happens when you see somebody, you're talking and they do this, you do this. How many of you have ever been with somebody and that's all they're, they're looking? How many of you don't have their full attention? And it affects the relationships that are around you. And when you're caught in the loop of FOMO, you tune out the real world and you tune into a fake one. See, at the end of the day, it's your life that you're missing out on. If you could take and eat all of the ice cream sundaes in the world without any serious repercussions, how many Sundays would you eat? Would you eat a lot? You'd never gain a pound. You wouldn't get diabetes from it. How many Sundays would you eat? Let's be honest. Well, there's a limit, right? There's a limit because you can only eat so much. But when it comes to social media, we're consuming more than we can handle. There's a lie that we're telling ourselves. Humans were not built to handle all that technology, taking it in all the time. So I want to do a test. Here's the test. From now until the end of my sermon. How many times will you check your smartphone for messages or email? Or status updates? Or fantasy football updates on the player that you're worried about? Is he going to start at noon? (laughs) How many times in a day do you look at your phone to check? Or at your computer? Or your smart? Is it 10 Is it 100? Is it 1,000? How many times? Here's the problem. We interrupt face-to-face conversations in the present tense to make sure about something that's going on somewhere else. And we develop an impulse control problem. We cannot easily control our impulse to check the technology to ensure something more important isn't waiting our immediate attention. And the reality is that there are few things so truly important in life that they cannot wait. You don't have to buy that thing, it can wait. You don't have to look at that thing, it can wait. But our impulse, if it controls us, the fear of missing out. I don't know what just happened. What if somebody just posted something? What if, the, what if uh, uh, my stocks just changed? Uh, where, where's my, my retirement portfolio? We, we, we're worried about keeping our snap streak alive. Whatever it may be, some of you have no idea what I just said. And other people know exactly what I just said. And we're looking at the stories that other people are having and we're more in tune with some other place than the place we're in. 
we settle for what we have, can we do it? Can we settle for what we have? Can we cling to what we're in rather than the fear of what we're missing out on? Well, some of you are like right now, Pastor Nate, thanks. You just like made me so depressed in church today. I appreciate that. You let me know I am a loser and I'm, I'm not saying that. Here's the good news. The good news is this. The Bible has an answer for the fear of missing out. It's called biblical contentment. Biblical contentment. Turn to the person next to you and say, biblical contentment. <laughs> Paul gives a picture of it in Philippians chapter 4. And his picture in verse 11, starting with verse 11, is what he developed in himself. He said this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, everybody said learned. learned. I've learned how to be content with whatever I present tense have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> Many Christians that I know love to quote verse 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> But that verse means nothing without the preceding verses. Paul said, because I have learned to be content with whatever I have, whatever the situation is that I'm in, he's learned to find his hope and his identity in Christ and other passages in Philippians. Because I've done that, I can stare down anything and know with Christ, I can do everything. But if I'm in a place where I'm in the fear of missing out and I'm looking to other things, I'm discontent. I wish I had something else. I'm feeling like I should be somewhere else. I feel like something's wrong with where I am. I am discontent. And when I'm in that kind of state of being, I don't have the possibility to tackle everything through Christ because I'm not looking to him. I'm looking to other things. Friends, we can learn to be content. We can go counterculture. We can push past the habits, cutting us off from people. It may not feel natural. You might have developed habits, impulse control habits, but you can learn how to be content. And we're, we are not dependent on how much you have or what situation you're in or if you have plenty, or if you have little, you can learn to be content. Some people think, well, if I'm not content, I prayed about it last week, and things went so well, and I felt a sense of peace, and God is with me, but then the very next day, I found myself in a place of discontentment. And so I might as well just stop even trying to be, to, to be content in any and every circumstance, because there's something wrong with me. No. There isn't anything wrong with you. You are growing and learning. Learning is a process. 
So you go back to the table again. You go back to the plate to swing the bat again. And you say, okay, I feel discontent. The discontentment in my heart is a clue that I am focused on the wrong things. I am not focused on who Jesus has called me to focus on. I'm wanting something else. I'm not satisfied with what he's given me. I'm not satisfied with the situation I'm in. I want other things. And when I'm in that state of being, I know that there's something missing. What's missing is not the things. What's missing is the peace of Jesus Christ. So in the moment, you learn to recognize what's going on. You spent an hour on Facebook looking through the friend who just got married and you wish you were married or the friend that just got pregnant and you wish you were pregnant. You spend your time seeing the friend that went to a concert that you wish you'd went to or you see a, a party that a bunch of your friends were at that you weren't invited to. No wonder as you put your attention and your focus on those things that all of a sudden you feel discontent. Learning contentment starts with trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is the NIV version from 1984 because this is how I memorized it as a kid. <laughs> trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In fact, read that out loud with me. You ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So, if we trust, I haven't even got to the preaching yet, bro. If we, we trust in the Lord with all our heart, our heart encompasses everything that we do in our thought life, in our feelings. It's what goes on up here, okay? And if I focus on something long enough, my heart will follow after it. People don't fall out of love. They think themselves out of love, okay? And then their heart follows after it. So if I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, I have to learn to take my thoughts toward him and to have my thoughts trust in him instead of something else. If I focus in on him long enough and I trust him, then I trust him when the facts in front of me don't feel comfortable. When it feels like the situation I'm in, I don't like. How on earth can I be content in the middle of an uncomfortable situation? Well, the way that I can is that in that moment, I can recognize I don't like where I am, but because I trust in the Lord, I know he will walk me through this circumstance. And even if I feel pain, I know that he has his best interest in me. He's going to finish the work that he started. And so it's shifting away from your own understanding and putting your acknowledgement of God in the moment. See, if you want to trust in God, you trust in God when you're having a fight with your family. What do you think? Well, boy, wait a second. God's not in my house when that happens, Pastor Nate. What I mean is when you recognize something is going on, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and acknowledge him in all your ways, 
is to pause in the moment and recognize, wait a second, I'm beginning to trust in other things to get this out. I'm mad at somebody else because they're stopping me from getting what I want. But if I pause and I repent and say, God, forgive me of leaning on my own understanding, you begin to acknowledge him in all your daily ways. And he enters the story. And you can trust God to provide, to defend you, to walk you through. And as Proverbs 3, 6 says, and he will make your paths straight. See, we get into crooked roadside detours when we leave our trust in our heart on God. We can learn to trust in him. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can learn. You can learn. Now, the next step is to move your attention even further towards that one that you trust. To move your attention there, okay? And uh, in earlier in Philippians 4, starting in verse 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your what? Thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, everybody say then. Then, then the God of peace will be with you. Now he uses intentional language. Fix your thoughts. It's not passive language. It's like grabbing yourself in the back of the head if you have any hair there and fixing your thoughts. When uh, my sons were younger, I don't do this anymore, but if I had to discipline them and their eyes were like all over the place and I wanted to talk to them, I would say, I would grab their face. I wouldn't squeeze. I was not abusive. I'd say, look at me with your eyes. Listen to me with your eyes. What I was doing is I was forcing them to shut out everything else around them so that they could look at me, okay? Now, there are times, I have to admit, in church when I feel like saying to people that are listening to me in the sanctuary, look at me, you know. (laughs) But Paul says, fix your own eyes. Fix your eyes on the good things. Fix your eyes. Not on the notification that just popped up where it distracts you. Live in this moment, this moment. Fix your thoughts. And then he tells you what to fix them on. Fix your thoughts on true, what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And then the God of peace will be with you. Now, here's the challenge. You can't go on to social media. You can't walk, turn on the television. You can't go anywhere right now with, without seeing things that are opposite of that list. This is why, in my mind, we spend far too much time getting our attention on things that only make us more unsettled and lacking of peace. But if we focus on those things which are pure, We have an ability to retain the peace of God. And it's tough. It's tough when you watch the news this week and you hear the most vile stuff that should never be spoken in public. 
plastered on people's Facebook pages, shared with others, and grumbling and playing. All you see is breaking out is the lack of peace because it's not the things that we're to focus on. What is right and pure and lovely and admirable. And friends, by the way, it is a choice to focus on those things because our, our sinful nature is to focus on what's missing. I'll be honest as a pastor. There are times when I'll go on to social media and I'll notice somebody from our church went to another church in town and they quoted the pastor from the other church and said, what a great message. And I went, (laughs) I'm not saying that's any of you. It just has happened somewhere along the line. Right at that moment, do I begin to focus on the negative? And if I do, I know where my emotions and my feelings and my heart will go. Or do I go back to what is true? I'm a son of God. I'm being faithful to what he's asked me to do. I know I'm not perfect. That's my sister and my brother. I love them. I'm glad that they got connected to a truth in the word. Because it's not about Paul or Apollos. It's God that gives the increase. And I'm able to focus my thoughts on what is true and pure and holy. You hear me? If you're a teenager and you see somebody, that girl that you really like, in a photo with another boy, (laughs) is your instant thought, well, I know who he really is where you begin to break down all the negative things about that kid because you know you're better and it should be you in that picture, not him. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been on social media and you see somebody post something in their house that they made because they went on Pinterest? And you started looking at it. You're like, she's so talented. I wish I could do that. I'm not, I'm just so bad. (laughs) And your thoughts take you down a pathway that are negative about yourself that God never intended you to have about yourself. Be careful, you may be taking the bait from the serpent who's taking you down a path you should never go. So what is the number one way to develop contentment? It's through gratitude. You can develop contentment when you focus in on gratitude. Gratitude is arguably the king of happiness. Look around. What good things might you, might you be taking for granted in your house, in your family, in your friends? And you begin to contemplate what you are blessed with, what you're fortunate to have, what you already possess. It makes you feel like you have more. And I want to encourage you to begin to make your own gratitude list that moves from one page to two pages to three pages. And you update your gratitude page over time. 
but to begin to think about what you already have, the people that do love you. You're like, but I don't have a lot of people. Maybe you don't have a family that you go home to. You're like, I don't know if anybody, I don't have a family like other people do. And you go into that comparison mode and comparison will kill you. But then maybe you need to pause and go, wait a second. I'm hearing a pastor on Sunday morning that prayed for me. I'm in a church that loves Jesus. I'm in the family of God. I got something going right in my life on this Sunday morning. I have something to be thankful for. I can be grateful for it. Maybe it's time to look at the good things you take for granted in life rather than your Facebook wall. Here's what I want you to hear. Gratitude and fear of missing out cannot exist together. You can't have the fear of missing out ruling and reigning in your heart and mind if you're focused on what you're grateful for. Turn the notifications off. Don't worry about breaking the snap streak. I love what Simon Sinek said this week. He said, at dinner, there should be zero phones on the table. It's the only way to make the people you're eating with feel valued. You know, for me, it used to be just Sports Center or a newspaper. What's a newspaper? <laughs> now, everything comes to us in a phone. And I can be home, but not be home, if you know what I'm saying. I could be with my boys, my sons, with my wife, and not be with my sons and my wife. If I don't learn to shut it off, to put it away, let me just challenge you, parents. We're now buying, I mean, kids are having phones, and we're paying these big bills for monthly fees, right? If you pay for the phone, you own the phone. Don't ever let your teenagers say, but you, I have to have it. You're so cruel. Don't smack them back to their ancestry. Be nice to them. But you own it. Why can't parents step up and be parents? And by the way, I feel like I'm like, I left my message. I'm just talking now. I'm just talking. And by the way, why not? Why not challenge each other? If you feel hurt and offended because somebody's not talking to you and they're looking down at your phone, you don't have to be mean about it, but you can just say, hey, would you rather me come back later? The people that you are with deserve your full attention, to be fully present. The pastor that's preaching to you deserves to be your full attention, to be fully present. <laughs> the studies say that the more a person is inclined to gratitude, the less likely they are to be depressed or anxious, or lonely, or envious, or neurotic. And feeling gratitude doesn't just make you happier, it's correlated with an objectively better life. In fact, studies have found that gratitude uniquely predicts all outcomes considered, whether it be higher grade point average, life satisfaction, social integration, as well as envy and depression. And they actually put a financial value on it. They said seeing friends and family regularly is the happiness equivalent of an extra $97,000 a year. And I think sometimes we're chasing stuff 
and we're trying to get to places in the future or wish we saw something and we miss the people in front of us, let's embrace the joy of being with others. In fact, I want to introduce a new term to Emmanuel, and it's this, JOMO, the joy of missing out. I think we need to practice JOMO. There's great joy when we're not anchored to a phone or anchored to other pursuits or not trying to get to some other place. If we can embrace the house we have or the job that we have or the people that we're with, now I'm not even talking about phones, I'm talking about jealousy and the desire to have other things and, and people. Uh, why don't we embrace who we have and who God's given us? Jesus even said it this way. Don't worry about tomorrow, it's got enough problems of its own. Be present. Be close to the things that you have now. And by the way, if you're considering yourself to be a Pentecostal follower of Jesus, wanting the Spirit of God to lead you, I think sometimes that social media has replaced our following the Spirit. We're so occupied we don't even hear his whisper. We don't even feel his promptings. He may want you to lay hands on the sick, but you're too busy checking somebody else's status out or posting a picture. Oh, come on now, I'm about to preach up on you. If it comes down to it, if it comes down to it, friends, we are to be available to the Spirit of God. Has anybody here thought about the fact that we're so busy looking at our phone that we're not listening to him? And don't give me that excuse that you read your Bible on the phone. Really? Do you really read your Bible on the phone? Because don't give me this, oh, well, I read it while you preach, Pastor Nate. That's great. But what about the rest of the week? Is your attention following other things because you're afraid of missing out on those things? Or are you available to be used as a vessel of love and kindness to the world that surrounds you? <laughs> so, so I have an assignment for you. I want you to take out the piece of paper that you were giving you as you came into church today. See, Jody is out of town. She's at a conference today, so I feel like I can just say whatever I want at church. <laughs> People are going to be like, we're so glad you're back, Jody. <laughs> On one side of your piece of paper, I want you to write the areas that the fear of missing out trips you up. Be honest, write it down. Under that, list the things you need to shift your attention away from. If those are the things tripping you up, what are the kind of triggers for you? Do you got triggers? Maybe you need to turn the notifications off because it buzzes you every time somebody mentions you. Or just because they poke you doesn't mean you need to poke them back. And I know there are some people here, you're like, this is such a great message, Pastor Nate. I don't have a smartphone. I got a flip phone. It's a dumb phone. <laughs> and you're like proud of that. But listen, we all deal with the fear of missing out for other reasons and for other things. I just have kind of dialed in on social media today. What are those things? Now, on the back side, I want you to flip it over because I don't want to focus on the negative. On the back side, I want you to start making your gratitude list. Start it now. Start making your gratitude list. People that you love and who love you. You got a job. 
or at least you had food in the fridge today, you got to pick what you wanted to eat. First world problems. You got options for how you got to church today. Somebody gave you a ride or you drove a car. What are all the things that you do have that you can focus on that are great? This week, I want you to share it with somebody, perhaps in a connect group or with a friend or maybe before you leave. Begin to share your gratitude list. Share the things that you know you need to overcome. Begin to practice JOMO, the joy of missing out.